Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship teams everywhere. Great job. Hey, normally this is where I say, take and turn in your Bibles. I'm not doing that this morning because I'm going to be all over the place in a little bit. And I'm going to put the verses up here on the screen. I'm going to use a lot tonight. I'm starting a new sermon series called I Want You. Now, I know this is not the greatest thing in the world. Like, I get it. But I, I, you'll, it'll make sense in a minute when I put it up there. Uh, I want you for the Lord's army. Here's what I know that not every Christian realizes that you are in the Lord's army. And the Bible makes it plain. We are soldiers of Christ. And so sometimes as a soldier, you wonder, or as a Christian, you wonder, what in the world does God want from me? So over the next four weeks, I'm going to make it as plain as I can possibly make it. What does the Lord want from me? And I'm not going to give you every nuance of the Christian life. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to give you the four things that will get you on track, and then the rest of it will come to you a lot easier if you get these four things down. So what does the Lord want from you? Today I'm going to say this. Number one, he wants you to take care of yourself. What, what in the world do, do I mean by take care of yourself? Well, I'm going to unfold that, unpack that as we get into the scripture. So now, let me show you a poster you're used to seeing. You, you've seen that poster, right? Who is this on the poster? Uncle Sam. The image of Uncle Sam is based on a combination of two earlier American characters, Yankee Doodle and somebody named Brother Jonathan. Yankee Doodle was a derogatory term the British used for colonial America during the Revolutionary War. We kind of adopted it and made it us. Brother Jonathan was a heroic character often featured in American folktales and cartoons. And so most historians believe that the name came, this is interesting, from a New York merchant named Sam Wilson who was known as Uncle Sam. Sam Wilson supplied beef to American troops during the war of 1812. And the barrels were stamped with the initials U.S. for United States, but most soldiers thought it meant Uncle Sam Wilson. And over time, Uncle Sam became a synonym for the United States. And that illustration you see of him there with long white hair and a white beard, dressed in a top hat and a tailcoat, began appearing shortly after the War of 1812. British cartoonists in a magazine called Punch were the first to develop the idea, the image of Uncle Sam. And then an American cartoonist named Thomas Nast cemented the image of Uncle Sam with his own drawing in the 1870s. And by the early 1900s, Uncle Sam had became known worldwide as a symbol for the United States. And one of the most famous depictions of Uncle Sam is this one. James Montgomery Flagg drew it for a U.S. Army recruiting poster for World War I. And then in the beginning of World War II, the U.S. government printed millions of these posters and used it actually during World War I and World War II. 
And this image you see of Uncle Sam that literally the government printed, think social media advertising in our day. They printed posters back in the day. They put them all around the United States, and the image helped to boost enlistment for the war effort because the message was simple. I want you. Now, it's the exact same message that Jesus would say to you today, I want you. It's the same message that God would give you today, I want you for the Lord's army. The fact is, we if you are a Christian, we have all been recruited into the Lord's army, and God wants every Christian on the front lines. God wants every Christian fighting the enemy. God wants every Christian serving in the Lord's army, doing what he has called you to do in order to help move the kingdom of God forward, in order to help reach our culture for the cause of Christ. So you you say all that and you say, well, what does the Lord want me for? What, what in the world could God want me for? Well, over the next four weeks, I'm going to talk about that. And today, I'm going to be as practical and down to earth as I've ever been in a sermon. As a matter of fact, I have never strung these three thoughts together in uh, a sermon. After I preach it, you're going to say, well, I know why I preach it. It wasn't worth the whole sermon. But I'm going to give you a whole sermon on what the Lord wants you to do, every one of us to do in order to take care of ourselves. What does God want for me? Let me give you three words today. Number one, God wants you to believe. Look at 1 John 5, 13. It's right here on the screen. Uh, go back. I'll, I'll got it. Let me do it. <laughs> 1 John 5, 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life so that you may know that you have eternal life now the writer of 1 John the apostle John the one who leaned on Jesus's soldier, uh, shoulder during the last supper he has written this book of 1 John and he's given us several reasons why he has written this book for example in chapter 1 he said this we write this to make our joy complete. He said, I've written the book of 1 John so that you can have joy. He goes on to say in chapter 2 that I write this to you so that you will not sin. He's got a whole portion of this book on how you should not sin, why you should not sin, and what happens when you do sin and what to do about it when you do sin. So, so uh, there, are, there are several themes of why I've written this book to you in those five chapters of 1 John. But when we get to the end of 1 John, we see the conclusion of the epistle. John not only gives a reason for why he writes to the audience, he now gives the main reason why he writes to the audience. And he says this, I write these things to you so that you may, say that word with me, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you have eternal life. It is apparent that many people in the church were being led astray by false teaching and made to doubt whether they really or not, whether they really did or not possess eternal life. And so John, therefore, assured, assured his readers that they may have confidence, confidence that you possess eternal life. As a matter of fact, the word, you don't need to know this really, but the word in the Greek have, that verb is in the present tense. 
which John is trying to say that you know right now, that you're fully confident right now, that you live the Christian life right now, that you're, you're engaging uh, in the Christian life knowing this very moment that you have eternal life. And hear me this morning, if there's a message I could get across to you today, it is the message of John. I think it's the same place the Lord would start, and here's where it is. He, God wants you to know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have believed in him. God wants you to know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven when you die and not go to hell when you die because there's only two options in life. Everybody in this room and everybody listening to me, whether it be at Dalton or Ross or online or watching this later on weeks from now, there are only two places to go. You're going to spend an eternity in heaven or you're going to spend an eternity in hell. And God said, here's where we are. I want you as a Christian to know that you have eternal life. I think it was Brian Fawcett that said last week something, something like this. If you're, 98% if you're 98% sure you're saved, there's a 100% chance you're going to hell. Why? Because God didn't come and down the cross so you could live hoping you're saved. As a child of God, you should know it. And hear me this morning. If you aren't 100% sure you're saved, there's several scenarios that could be going on. Several. Number one, you may be lost. Like if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, part of the problem, the, the real root of the problem may be you're, you're lost. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. You're not going to heaven when you die. You may be willing to admit that. You may not willing to be admit that. But if you're doubting your salvation, you're not 100% sure, you could just be very lost, never made a decision. And you know what? Uh, second scenario is you could be lost and confused. I've met plenty of people who were lost but had no idea how to get saved. I'll be honest, I was saved as a 12-year-old boy, and I'd been in church all my life. And when I knelt down by my parents' bedside, and uh, Dad said to me, well, you know what to do? I looked at my dad, and I said, I don't. I have no idea what to do. My dad was a little bit like, son, have you been in church all your life, and you don't know what to do? I said, none of that matters. I don't know what to do. That's lost and confused. You could be here lost and not confused. You could be here lost and confused. Uh, or, or thirdly, you could be lost in impersonating. There are a lot of imposters in the Christian life in church. And it's not ill intent. You're not trying to do anything bad. But you are not sure you're saved or you're even sure you're not saved. But you've been faking it so long, you're too embarrassed to let people know that you're not really a Christian. And so, hey, you'll sing. You'll keep the kids, you'll teach Sunday school class, you'll do all these activities in the church, you'll give and go and serve, you'll, you'll do all of that, but deep down inside, you know, you know. You're trying to mask it, but who in the world are you masking it for? The end of that road is an eternity in hell. You say, well, preacher, I don't want to be embarrassed. Listen, no, that, that never happens. It's a lie of the devil. If you walk down and get saved this morning and you're a deacon or a preacher or a staff member or a church member, I don't care who you is, the church is not going to go home and say, can you believe that? They're going to go home and check out their own salvation. Number four, you may be saved. If you're doubting your salvation, you may be saved, but living like a lost person. Feeling like a lost person. 
I run Christians all the time say, I'm not sure I'm saved. Well, tell me about your life. Well, they're living like a lost person. Can I just be honest with you? If you're saved, living like a lost person, you're going to feel like a lost person. Or number five, you could be saved and under attack from the enemy, which is why John wrote this book. John wrote this book because he understood there are people that, that you may be saved, but the enemy's attacking you spiritually. Now, you can't always put it in that category because you may be lost. You may be lost and confused. You may be lost and impersonating. You may be saved and living like a lost person, or you may, may be saved and under attack. But all of those situations will keep you in an emotional and spiritual tailspin. Either at worst, they'll send you to hell, and at the least, they'll render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. So depending on where you fall on that paradigm, at worst, you're going to die and go to hell. At least, you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. So when you aren't sure of your own spiritual condition, then you have nothing to offer anyone else spiritually. Do you know until you nail down your own salvation, you can't really help anybody else? If, you, if you've ever flown very much or flown at all, if you don't fly much, you listen to every word the flight attendant says, right? And, and I, when I, years and years ago when I didn't fly very much, I'd listen to every word. I'd like, shh. Something on here is a flotation device. I need to know what it is. I'm not flying over water, but I still want to know. And, and I pretty much accept if I'm on a plane, if it goes down, I'm done. Like, I'm not worried about flotation device. I, I, I've never had anybody on a plane. I, ne, I've never seen anybody interviewed on a plane crashing like, yep, I ducked my head and everybody, everybody died but me. No, I'm just, I know I'm a goner. It's the way it is. I get it. I don't pay much attention anymore. I just trust God to get me there, hopefully, but one of the things that can happen to you is you lose cabin pressure in, in, um, in, the, uh, in the cabin. And if that happens, what, what happens when you lose cabin pressure? Master. If, if you know what King of Queens is, anybody ever seen the show King of Queens? They had a funny opening one time. It's just, it's just worth me playing for this sermon point. Beginning our final descent into LaGuardia, please make sure your seatbelts are fastened and your seat back and tray tables are in their full upright positions and discontinue the use of any electronic devices based on a board. <laughs> Honey. Huh? We're landing and you couldn't have more to do. <laughs> the way daddy throws away his trash, huh? Yeah, that's for being such a sweetie this weekend. That wasn't so bad. Oh, come on, give yourself some credit. You spent two whole days with my old high school friend and her new baby. It's called doing the right thing, Carrie. Some of us still believe in that. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I was checking out the clothes they had on that baby. Couldn't look more comfortable. Yeah, that fleece ducky thing was cute, right? No, 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 you're missing the point. I want that for me. <laughs> Oh, look, we're almost on the ground. As you probably noticed, we had a little bump on our landing there. 
Obviously, we're on the ground, and there's no need for oxygen. We'll be at the gate in just a moment. <laughs> Technically, technically, Kevin James did the right thing, right? Technically, you take care of yourself before you take... Now, it didn't go so well for him in that circumstance. The rest of the show is about how she got her feelings hurt. But that's exactly what they tell you to do, right? When the oxygen mask falls, take care of yourself, and then you can help somebody else. When it comes to salvation, hear me. God wants you to know that you're saved... And you've got to know that before you can help anybody else on, his, on their journey. You say, how do I know that I'm saved? I'm going to give you four ways this morning, four ways, all out of the book of 1 John, where I first read in chapter 5. Let me give you four things. You might want to jot them down. Number one is this, if you keep his commands. 1 John 2, this is how we know that we know him. This is how we know that we know him. How do we know that we know him? He said, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet does not keep his commands. He is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Listen to me. Saved people are obedient people. You cannot ignore the Bible and claim to know Jesus. You cannot live opposite the Bible and claim to know Jesus. Jesus said this in John 14. He said this, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you're wondering if you're saved or not, then ask yourself, how does your life line up to the commands of the word of God? You cannot be in continuous disobedience to the Bible and claim to know him. Now listen, nowhere along the line is John preaching perfection. John is not preaching, you're always going to get it right. But if you are living in constant disobedience to God, if you ignore this Bible and live in your life, God just says this, you cannot be saved. I didn't say it, he did. How do I know if I know him? Number two, you love the brethren, brothers. And the brethren and the sister, right? We, uh, we love all the people. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. That's pretty strong language. A sure sign of your salvation is that you love the people in this room. What does that mean? Well, I think, first of all, it means you love being with them, meaning you love coming to church like you enjoy this process we're going about right now engaging one another with your uh here you know whatever campus or however you may be watching like you love being at church you love serving with them how about this you're willing to forgive them you're quick to help them if that describes you you can know that you're saved number three how do i know Number three, you feel the Spirit. Now, hang with me for a moment, but I want, I want you to see what he said. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that we, he remains in us is from the Spirit he has given us. Now, listen, I am not saying this morning that you should base your salvation on your feelings because I don't feel saved in the mornings until I've had a shower and about a half a cup of coffee. I'm sure I'm lost until that moment in my life. I'm not saying you base your salvation on your feelings. You shouldn't. Salvation is faith, not feeling. However, 
There is something about having the Spirit of God take up residence in your heart that when you're saved, you cannot deny it. Paul said this. Paul echoed what John said in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Paul said this. There's something going on in your heart that when the Spirit of God lives in your heart, that Holy Spirit of God says to your spirit, you are saved. Now, I'm not saying base your salvation off your feelings, but I'm saying this. If you are generally born again, you'll feel something every now and then. It's the Holy Spirit telling you. Number number four, it says, number four, have the Son. I, I put this in here. The one who has the Son has life, John said. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Why does that have to be in there? Because being saved is not about being a church member. Being saved is not about signing a card. Being saved is not about being a good person or giving or helping others. All those things are great, but none of those become before salvation. Those come after salvation. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Trusted him and him alone. That's how you know you're saved. Do you know that for sure? That's why, that's why you have, if God have anything from you this morning, it's take care of yourself. You know for a fact that you are saved and you're here this morning. And, and listen, there's two people in the room right now, in any room or watching online. You're here this morning and everything I've been preaching so far has made you doubt more. Or you're here listening to me And everything I've preached so far has given you more confidence and you've got to put yourself in one of those categories. It's either driven more doubt into your spiritual condition or it solidified your lostness, I mean, rather your salvation even more. And I want to hear you. If it has, hear me, if it has driven doubt into your spiritual condition, this is not a decision to put off. This is not a feeling to ignore. This is not a worry to suppress in your life. This is something you take care of today because if God would have anything for you, it'd be know that you know that you know that you're saved. What does God want for you? Number one, he wants you to believe. Number two, he wants you to be baptized. Look at Acts chapter 8. So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, I don't have time to retell this whole story, but Peter was on an evangelism mission, and he went and led this Ethiopian to Christ uh, who, was a, who was high up in, in the court of the queen uh, of Ethiopia. And he was in Jerusalem worshiping, but he didn't understand the gospel. Philip came up and preached the gospel, and the men, he, he included baptism in uh, preaching the gospel because the moment they saw a mud puddle, the guy says, well, why can't I go ahead and get baptized? And he said, well, you got to believe on Jesus. And he said, I, I, I'll, I'll do that right now. And so this water baptism was an outward display of an inward decision of he, the fact that he had given his life to Christ. The water baptism was his public acknowledgement of trusting Jesus. Now, hear me. That's why baptism is so important for you and why God asked for it to be immediately after you're saved. Why? It tells the world that you're following Christ. It tells the world that you are now a child of God and you're not ashamed of him. Baptism does not save you. It just tells the world that you are saved. My wife and I, we were married when we were babies. Uh, babies. We, we, we've known each other since I was 16, she was 15, just a, 
I was just a couple of weeks away from 17, and she was a couple of months away from uh, 16, but we, we, we wound up getting married. I think I was 20. She was not. We were just babies. We were just, just babies, but we were mad in love. And if you don't know our story, I love telling it. I, I was her bag boy at ShopRite Grocery in Chatsworth, Georgia. Her mama came by one Friday night, interviewed me. I didn't know I was being interviewed, but interviewed me. Wonder what kind of grades I made, where I went to church, was I a good kid, who'd I hang out with, all that stuff. And she said, I'm going to bring my daughter by. I'd like for you to meet her next week. She's real pretty. And you know what I thought? Yeah, that's what all mama say. I know what this is going to end. This is not going to do well. Good luck if you can find me next week. Like, I'm not falling for that trap at all. And, um, but next Friday night, I was a little bit excited, and, and I was standing in the back door, and uh, I saw her, this lady, who I didn't even know her name, roll in with this girl, and I didn't know her name. But the minute I saw that girl, I'm like, oh, oh, good Lord, that's who her daughter is. And I took off running towards her daughter. I grabbed a push broom and followed them around the store like I was in love from day one. Before we'd even had a date in the produce section of ShopRite, I told her I was going to marry her. And she said, you're not. And I said, I am. She said, you don't even know what color my eyes are. And I said, blonde hair. I'm going to take a guess here. Thinking to myself, and you, you got a cute blonde-headed girl. What color are her eyes? Blue. So I just went with it. And I said, oh, you Obviously, you have blue eyes. She said, no, they're brown or hazel. And I'm like, that's not a good start to our marriage right there. But anyway, (laughs) um, I married her. And and, and I I refer to ShopRite as the love shack. You know, the love shack's where I met. I didn't work there. I dated at the love shack every Friday night, man. She came by. That went on for uh, several years. And and I won't tell you our whole story now, but ShopRite Love Shack, man. And they close it down now, so we're kind of the last bona fide couple that the love shack has produced. It's gone now. But um, uh, we, we got married. I was 2019, Smyrna Baptist Church, Chatsworth, Georgia. The most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in the world then, I've ever seen now, came walking down the aisle. Our songs were sung. We kneeled at the altar for something else. And we were down at the altar and we were, they were, somebody was singing a prayer and um, singing the Lord's Prayer. And we're on a kneeling bench down at the front. We're just whispering sweet nothings to each other. Uh, matter of fact, we, we, it was packed. This little church was packed out. There were people standing along the back walls. And um, uh, we were Here's, here's the sweet nothings we were whispering to each other down at the altar. People were watching that. People were like, they're just so in love. My wife looked at me and said, I don't think we have enough food for everybody. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to get a piece of cake, aren't I? Like, I am going to get cake. And she's like, I don't know. Don't eat cake until everybody else has had cake. <laughs> Batting her eyes at me. And we got back up, and it came time for the ring ceremony, and she placed a ring on my finger and, and said sweet stuff. No, I, I placed a ring on her finger and said sweet stuff. And she, uh, she went to place a ring on my finger. And I jerked my hand back and I said, hey, you know what? I'm, I, I don't want to wear that, wear that ring. I don't, I don't mind being married. But let's not get crazy about it. There's no need for other people to know. Right? No, I didn't, I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. You know how you know I didn't do that? Because I'm alive today. That's how you know I didn't do that. Can, can you imagine being down at the altar and saying to your almost spouse, well, I don't want the ring. I mean, I don't want to be that serious about it. 
Why do you wear a wedding, wedding ring? It is the public declaration of your private decision to marry somebody. Why do you get baptized? It's the public declaration of your private decision to follow Jesus Christ. It tells the world you belong to Jesus. And this is not a baptism sermon, but here's two points. Number one, it happens by immersion. The Bible says they came up out of the water. And you can get in the Greek word of all that. It meant to submerge every time. Number two, it happens after salvation. Now, some of us here, you were like me. I got baptized as a little boy, got saved later on. That baptism didn't count. It was just going swimming in front of people. Some of you here today, and you've been baptized, saved in that order, and you think it's all right. It's not all right. It's not all right. Baptism happens by immersion after you're saved. You say, preacher, I've been serving in the church forever. I know it, but it's time to get that right. It's the first act of obedience for a new Christian. You know, not really go much farther in the Christian life until you take care of that. One simple act of obedience can change the trajectory of your life. What does God want for you? Number one, he wants you to believe. He wants you to know you're saved. Number two, he wants you to be baptized after you're saved by immersion. And number three, he wants you to belong. Believe. Baptized belong. Acts chapter 2, it says this. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day the Lord added to their number the people that were saved and joining the church. People were getting saved, baptized, and then becoming a productive Member of the church, close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. Listen to this. The Christian life isn't meant to be lived solo. It's just not. Some people say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Listen, if you are a Christian, you will want to be part of a church and be part of what God is doing at that church. We are not a club but membership is a commitment to the body of Christ to contribute to what God is doing at that place. Membership is consummating the relationship. It is a commitment to attend and be in church as often as you can. It is a commitment to serve and dig in here and help us reach Peavine City with the gospel. It is a commitment to give and that is your tithes and your offerings to move the ball forward. It is a commitment to help. It is a commitment to pray. It is a commitment to lead. It is a commitment to invite others. We need all of that. Hear me. We love it when people just hang out. We love it better when people join up. The Lord added daily those who are being saved. You know what we want here? We want the Lord to add every Sunday those he has brought here to be part of our church. Thank you, Pastor Joel. I can't think of a simpler way uh, to explain what God wants from us. And Pastor Joel is going to unpack some of the things he talked about this Sunday and the weeks to come. But what does God want from us? What does Jesus want from you? He wants you to believe. 
He, he wants you to be baptized and He wants you to belong. He wants you to be a part uh, of a church that is uh, sharing the gospel and reaching people with the gospel. And maybe you've not started that relationship with Jesus. There's never been a time when you put your faith and trust in Him. Um, today's the day for that. Today is the day that you need to understand that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. You, you've got to know and believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for me and for you. And then you have to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. When you do that, you begin that relationship with Him that starts right now and lasts through all of eternity. If God's spoken to your heart and you need to give your heart and life to Christ this morning, simply tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day He rose again, paying the penalty for all of my sin. I ask you through the power of your Holy Spirit to come into my heart, take up residence there, Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, we want to celebrate that with you. We want to send you some information to help you take next steps, and we want to connect with you. Um, and so if you would, click on the button that we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. We're going to connect with you and send you some information to help you take next steps with Jesus. Hey, it's been awesome uh, to be together in uh, worshiping right there in your living room or wherever you are this morning. I look forward to our time together each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.